Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where every Jojo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode three, and we're reviewing part one, Phantom Blood, Youth with Dio. As always, there will be spoilers for this episode and anything that has happened previously in Jojo, so you've been warned. This episode is um, probably one of my favorite of part one. It's... There's a lot that happens. There's a lot of action. Like the whole thing is just like one giant action scene, I feel like. Um, you've got Best Wife Speedwagon being the backseat driver that he always is. In a good way. I say that in a loving way. Um, and of course, you get the transformation of Dio Brando to Dio. Yeah, this was definitely a jam-packed episode. And I think this is what got me a little more hooked into the JoJo fandom um this episode almost felt like a season finale to me just because of how enormous it felt um not just action wise but like story wise because you go from a kind of shakespeare-esque confrontation between dio and jonathan and the whole cohort in the mansion to a full-fledged like battle scene um in the later half of the episode so a lot going on but it was definitely a thrill to watch from beginning to end. Yeah, and we get um, several more, I guess, memes or I guess you could call them sayings, classic sayings from JoJo in this episode. Yeah, mostly from Dio, I would say. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of Dio tropes that that start with this episode. So let's do a quick rundown. First, we have the "I reject my humanity, JoJo" meme. Then we have his saying when he's like, re. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Um, we also get Hinjaku Hinjaku. We get Goodbye Jojo. Goodbye Jojo. And we get, I think, probably the most popular of all of his sayings Muda, 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 Muda. Like, the, this is this is seriously like a, a major, major episode for part one and for, for Jojo overall. Um, so yeah, this is a, this is a fun one to watch, and I'm excited to talk about it. Same here. So let's go ahead and jump right into the synopsis for Youth with Dio. At Joestar Mansion, Dio is thrust into an intervention hosted by Jonathan and accompanied by Speedwagon, Senor Joestar, and Detective Ben Franklin and his cohort of cops. Jonathan reveals that he has administered the antidote to Senor Joestar and intends to turn Dio over to the police. Dio appears remorseful and accepting of his fate, but Speedwagon warns that this bitch is lying and is evil incarnate, confirmed by Dio's Fu Manchu-looking-ass drug dealer, Wang Chan. And what do you know? Speedwagon's title as best waifu is rightfully earned, as Dio breaks free from Jonathan's handcuffs, dons the spoopy stone mask, and attempts to stab his foster brother, until Senor Joestar intervenes to take the fatal blow. Dio is shot down and presumably dies in a pool of rain and blood, while Senor Joestar for sure dies in Jonathan's arms but not before entrusting him with his mother's ring. This triggers Detective Ben Franklin as he steals the spotlight momentarily with a story about how Dario Brando stole the ring, but Senor Joestar still forgave him. Thanks to Detective Ben Franklin's soliloquy, however, no one notices that Dio's body has disappeared and he has reincarnated as a superhuman vampire that obliterates the detective and the police force. Jonathan steps up to take on Dio in an epic fight of anime proportions as the Joestar mansion engulfs in flames around them. The last of the Joestar lineage nearly sacrifices himself by impaling Dio on the statue of the family's guardian deity and is dragged to safety by Speed Waifu. In the aftermath, Wang Chan 
digs through the mansion rubble to retrieve the spoopy stone mask, but gets his HP drained out of him by Dio, who, what do you know, survived all that fuckery. And actually, before we jump into our discussion, I just want to correct myself from something that I mentioned in the last episode. In terms of the music, I had to actually look this up. Um, It was Hayato Matsuo who composed part one, and Taku Iwasaki composed part two. So for all you music buffs out there who heard me and said, wait a minute, that's not right. I apologize for the error, but this is me correcting that. Is that, are either of them the same individual that composed a lot of the the later parts, the music for the later parts? No, I think um, Yugo Kano composed part three onward. So yeah, for first two parts were two separate composers and then Yugo Kano did the rest of the series moving onward. Okay, that's what I thought because his name sounds familiar. Like I, from the times that, that you know, we, we've heard um, JoJo music um, outside of the actual episode and you see the artist's name come up, I'm always like, that's the name that I, I, I recognize. But I wasn't sure if he only did certain parts, if he did the whole thing, but no, that, that clarifies it. He's a genius, a musical genius. Mm-hmm. I mean, like all three of them, did fantastic jobs composing each part because they all have a different feel. Obviously, part one has a more noble feel, and you'll see with part two that Iwasaki's music has a definitely different vibe. But yeah, so moving on from that and into our general discussion, what did you think? Well, I think the first the first thing I want to talk about with this episode is Speedwagon, best waifu Speedwagon. He is the character that shines throughout this episode. And yeah, he's he's like a, I don't know if you'd call him a minor character or a major character. He kind of like floats in between depending on like the the episode. Um, but yeah, he, he, he sold the show for, for me in this episode. He is, again, that, that backseat driver to Jonathan. And I say it without, in, in a loving way uh, throughout this whole episode, trying to steer him in the right direction, trying to watch out for his back, trying to protect him, um, speaking very highly of the Joestar family and just, yeah, being being everything that, that we need him and love him to be. Yeah, for me, Speedwagon in this rep- episode reminded me of like a, a sports or wrestling color commentator because he basically narrates everything that's going on um, during the confrontation with Dio and then the eventual battle with Dio. But it's just funny because like, he's reciting this to no one in particular, but obviously, like, as audience members, it's helpful to us because we know or like we're informed of what's going on. Um, but yeah, even though he's a bystander to all the shit that's going on in this episode, um, I'll give Speedwagon credit for... Again, following Jonathan all the way from London to wherever um, Joestar Mansion is located and having his back and telling him, like, you're about to get in some deep shit because this guy is pure evil. Yeah, and I know in the last episode, um, we talked about Speedwagon and, like, his origins. Like, where did he come from? How does he have this heart of gold? But he he's in this this really shitty gang or whatever. We do find out, because he mentions to, to Dio and Jonathan, that he grew up in the slum. So he's probably the type of person who just happened to be born into that life. Um, but it was never really meant to be in that life because, again, he, he's got a heart of gold. He's a good person. Um, and... Rewatching this episode, it's it's fun to rewatch these in general because 
I feel like I'm picking up on things that I never noticed the first or second time around because there's, there's just so much going on. Like there's a lot of details to try and absorb. Mm -hmm. um, and so this time around we, when I was watching it, um, when when Speedwagon reveals himself as Jonathan and Dio are having that back and forth and he lights that one match just to light up his face instead of just stepping out into the light and then he blows it out, just so ridiculous. Um, I, my first thought was like, how the fuck did he get into Jonathan's house? And how did Jonathan not know that he was in his house? And why is Jonathan not freaking out right now? But then I realized um, Jonathan, I think, as you mentioned, let him come along um, because they also had the the poison dealer. What's his name again? Wang Chun, which is a reference oh, yeah. to the yeah, 80s band Wang Chung. Yeah. Um, so Wang Chun is with them and, and he's obviously the poison dealer and they're using him as proof against Dio. Um, so they they were already waiting in the wings. This thing was all set up and I realized, okay, yes, Speedwagon was intentionally invited into the, the, the Joestar mansion by uh, Jonathan. <laughs> although I thought it was really funny that they just decided to put the drug dealer behind a curtain and then pull him out at I the know. exact and, moment they needed him. And why didn't he just like yell or try to escape <laughs> or anything along those lines? I don't know. But hey, Speedwagon was there. Mm. And I think as we talked about in the last episode, um, Jonathan sometimes can be very similar to his father, George, in that he's very trusting of people almost to a fault. And I think in this moment, we see Jonathan about to um, give in or about to, to to believe Dio once again, even though it's clear Dio's always scheming and it's Speedwagon who stops him and opens his eyes um, again, which is probably the, the best part of Speedwagon, as we, we talked about it. He's got Jonathan's back. He, he has an eye for um, kind of seeing through people and seeing the the true nature inside of them um and just keeping jonathan on on the correct path and i think it's also like you mentioned before it's just it's because big wagon had that upbringing um in the slums of london so he can see right through people and point out like their corrupted nature um and just to comment on his actions more i just loved how he kicked the chandelier right in front of dio just to show how angry he was that he the was, chandelier or the or the uh, candelabra, candelabra yeah but to show how angry he was at being in the presence of like sheer evil yeah he was very he's trying to be very intimidating although dio's not very easily intimidated i think mm -hmm. so when jonathan and and uh, speedwagon reveal that they've got the the poison dealer wang chun with them um he talks about the three moles that are on dio's ear which indicate that he was born with the devil's luck. Um, I thought that was was interesting that they pointed that out and that they had that um, that you know small detail about him that truly because it's one thing to say like this person was born evil just because they're a really shitty person to deal with, but I think this is solidified proof that Dio was literally born evil. He was born with the devil's luck. He has that mark on his ear to to signify that. Um, and I think that just really, for me, again, I, I talked about it before, but when he kicked Danny and all the things that he did to Danny, that to me solidified Dio as a true evil villain. Um, but I think this is also another moment that that solidifies that. Like the, it's, it's irrefutable proof that Dio was born and continues to be evil. And is that a trope? that's typical in anime or like is an actual i guess legend in japanese culture about having the three um moles on your ear i have no idea <laughs> okay because i feel like i've seen it in at least one other show 
Um, it does seem familiar. I just I just can't think of when mm-hmm. or where I've heard that before. Unless that show was just making a JoJo reference. <laughs> Which a lot of shows do. Mm-hmm. A lot of shows do. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we get Dio pleading for his for his life, I guess, or, or asking for for mercy. Um, he wants to turn himself in. Blah 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 blah. Um, and so Speedwagon calls him out, and then he says, "Okay, well, I, Jonathan, I want you to be the one to handcuff me." And yet again, Jonathan immediately falls for Dio's shit. Like, mm-hmm. you, like you just were about to fall for John uh, for Dio's, um, you know, big speech that he was making. Speedwagon opens up your eyes, and then you immediately forget all of that and say, "Okay, I'll handcuff you like you asked me to." There's no way that you could be doing anything suspicious. There's no way there's a scheme going on in your head with this. You're surrounded by cops. You know, this, this can't possibly be something that's going to end up bad and then it does yeah it's like this always goes over jonathan or even george's head um it's like how gullible are are these joe stars (laughs) yeah seriously it's it's sometimes a little bit um frustrating because i'm like why why have you never watched anything in anime before i mean obviously that's a joke but um it just it's it's very obvious like i feel like everyone else around them sees dio for who he is um and kind of can pick out when he's being truthful and when he's not um but for some reason the joe stars just cannot do that they they have a very very hard time doing that Although I will give George Joestar a little bit of credit. I know we've mentioned in previous episodes that he's really naive when it comes to seeing things um, happening between Jonathan and Dio. But when we get the backstory about Jonathan's mother's ring and how Dario Brando was trying, or like he was jailed for trying to steal the ring um, and then George still forgave him. Um, because he mentioned that he probably would have done the same thing in his position. I think it was kind of a redeeming quality uh, for George Joestar because um, it shows that he was like he was aware of, I guess, how Dio was brought up in his childhood, right? Yeah, no, I, you're you're absolutely correct. I think that because um, the I don't know if he had a name or not, but the the cop. Um, who ben told Franklin. Yeah, Ben Franklin, who told that story, um, who had that flashback. I mean, he even said that George's weakness, his his brightest point and I guess his, his dullest point was his kindness. To know that Dario was just some thief who was foraging for gold mm-hmm. at the crash site and just happened to be there when George woke up and, and he misunderstood that you know, he, he wasn't there to actually rescue him. For him to, to realize that in that moment in that jail cell, jail cell um, but still choose to forgive Dario and, and try to set him on the right path. I mean, that that's the true spirit of, of you know, the Joe stars. And that's what Jonathan always tries to embody. Um, I think I, I still do, I guess, kind of, quote unquote, blame George for not being harder on Dio, knowing that Dario gave him a bad um, upbringing and was a bad person. Those were opportunities for George to try and set Dio straight. Mm-hmm. But instead, he let... Dio, um, I guess to a certain degree, pester and like torment his own son. Yeah, Jonathan was spoiled, and and yeah, that was also George's fault. But I don't think the right way to correct Jonathan's behavior, um, or kind of set an example, is by allowing him to be tormented by Dio. It should be correcting each of their behaviors in the appropriate way to set them both on the right path. Right. 
but here we are and now he's he's dead that death, death <laughs> by redemption i guess for all of his gullibleness and his sometimes overly kindness yeah but he still died a noble and chivalrous death i do love that shot um there's a that one i don't know like a still image i guess when um george finally does die he passes on and there's that image of um jonathan holding george in his hands and he's looking up at the the ceiling he's crying it just Mm. looks so like angelic very regal it reminded Um, me of i don't know if you know the statue um i don't know if michelangelo did it uh it's called the pieta where the virgin mary is holding um christ in her arms after he dies on the cross that's the same imagery that um, I think this that image evokes of Jonathan and um, and George. Yeah, I can see that because I mean, just just the way it was drawn in that still image was just so like elegant, very again, very regal. It, they were trying to like I think they were trying to 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 showcase something. I mean, in that moment too, Speedwagon also says um, George has passed on his spirit to his son, so that that the Joestar spirit lives on. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a nice tribute to to George and his relationship with his son before dying and Dio, you know, going crazy and ripping that cop's head in half. He got his kappa detated. <laughs> and this is where things take that interesting turn because, again, we go from, I mean, this is the moment where we go from Dio Brando to just Dio. And Dio is on a whole nother level from Dio Brando. I mean, even the way the voice actor um, evokes Dio's personality it's way more flamboyant way Mm. more confident way more in your face um he he is now a whole new being really and i think what goes hand in hand with dio brando evolving into dio is just the amped up um action that happens for the rest of the episode so in the previous episode episode two we talked about how um the the show suddenly dialed up the drama and then I feel like in episode three, they dialed up the action. Mm-hmm. Like it is just over the top. The physics make no sense in this episode. I mean, they don't make sense in general in JoJo, but like this episode in particular, it makes no fucking sense. Like, for example, Dio's ridiculous strength. He's on the ceiling. He like pokes two holes in the one cop's head and like sucks him dry of all his blood. And then he takes him and he whips him into the other three, two or three cops and literally slices the other cop's bodies in half (laughs) with the first cop's body. Like that doesn't make any sense. Somehow though, somehow best wife Speedwagon does not get killed in that moment. He does get injured and he's bleeding from the mouth, but he somehow doesn't get killed when the two guys standing like half a foot next to him gets sliced in half. Because you can't kill Best Wife. You cannot kill him. Yeah, there are a lot of weird physics-defying moments in this in this episode. Just to point out a few more, towards the end when Jonathan is falling, I don't even know where they're falling, if it's a chimney or something. Um, and another thing with that is, like, why are they falling for such a long time? Like, how tall is this mansion? For them to fall for like five minutes. It's it's like a never ending mm-hmm. chimney tunnel thing, which is funny because we've gotten shots of what the outside of the house looks like. And I'm pretty sure it's only two stories. Yeah, <laughs> it's only two stories. But for some reason, they're falling for what's almost like an eternity. Yeah. But then once I think Dio pushes Jonathan and Jonathan's about to fall into the flames, he grabs the spear that was stuck in his shoulder, throws it into the wall and then manages to balance on it 
with one foot. Like, how is this tiny little fragment of a spear holding all of this man's weight? It's just it's very strange. And then he jumps up off of it, so somehow like a whole story up, and almost reaches Dio's foot. And then as he's falling, he takes off his belt and whips it and like just perfectly somehow lassos it around Dio's ankle and then pulls him down. I'm like, this makes no sense. And before that, when they're still um, in the first room where George Joestar died, um, we see Jonathan jump like, two stories to this balcony so so first of all he pulls a sword out right like after he throws Speedwagon away and tells him to run he pulls a sword out he slams it into the ground and then as it's sticking up vertically he somehow jumps onto the the very end of the back of the handle and then leaps up probably a full story and grabs the balcony above him with the arm and the hand that has the spear sticking out of it and blood gushing out of it. And then he just pulls himself up and does a backflip over the railing and lands perfectly like a gymnast. And he's totally fine. He just is standing there and he's like, all right, Dio, come face me. And I'm like, I don't know what I just watched. It was magical. It was beautiful, but it was totally unrealistic. And I wouldn't expect anything less of Jojo. Yeah, I think it's all meant to be in service of showing how tenacious Jonathan is in defeating his former brother. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And then after that part happens, immediately after, Dio rips his flaming shirt off. And then he decides to just walk up to Jonathan, literally by walking up the side of a wall. He starts slamming his feet into a brick wall so that he can just walk perfectly perpendicular to the wall while holding his hand onto his hip and strutting shirtless all the way up like he's in some sort of fashion show. It's it's just amazing. It's it's so silly. It's so ridiculous. And this is the exact type of thing that keeps me hooked on JoJo and makes it just my absolute favorite. Like, I, I love it. Yeah, they definitely want to go over at the top with these action pieces. Um, but it they managed to balance it out with a, a very compelling story. So Yeah, it it's the whole package. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. Um one thing that I thought was odd was when uh so I I guess I'm going kind of in reverse order here, but when um Jonathan comments on the stone mask after Dio's actually used it and he sees that he turns into a vampire. Jonathan says, so this is is what the mask does. It unlocks the brain's potential. And I'm like, okay, so you're telling me that the brain's potential, the ultimate potential of of the human brain is becoming a vampire? And so like, is that like the ultimate form and all that? Like it just it seems so odd of all the things to say. It's you're basically implying that becoming a vampire is is the human body and the human brain's ultimate potential. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about this and rationalizing it. Um the way I saw it is we saw in the previous episode that the stone mask basically killed that drunkard in London and then he just reanimated into this undead corpse. I think what's different here is that compared to that drunkard, Dio is a much more intelligent person. So obviously like within his brain, there's a much larger potential for um, the stone mask to effectively utilize its powers um so again not to call that drunkard like stupid but um people that have a higher i guess iq um will again effectively use the mask to its fullest potential that's the way that i kind of interpreted it and the whole vampire thing yeah that that can be 
consider like just, you know, creative license. Um, but I think that's why, you know, Dio didn't react the same way to the mask that that drunkard did is because he's Dio. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, the guy's really smart. He's a, he's studying to be a lawyer after all. Mm-hmm. But the other, on the other side of the coin, the way I interpreted this whole fight was a kind of a display of like the value of courage versus the value of cowardice. Um, where I think Jonathan had embodied courage because, you know, even though Dio has used this mask to make himself all powerful, Jonathan is still willing to put up a fight against these overwhelming odds. And I would say like Dio, even though again, he's all powerful is he's still embodying cowardice because he has to rely on this other instrument to help him get what he wants. And he's lying and cheating his way out of things right. and, and all of that, um, resorting to violence and all that fun stuff. And I, I think my biggest takeaway for this episode is um, the the major character development um, that we get for Jonathan overall, I'd say. Uh, the, I think this is the moment that he finally matures. He's struggling with the fact that, first of all, he just lost his father. Um, and but second that, you know, Dio is his brother, like even in these moments, even after finding out that Dio is trying to poison his father and take his inheritance and he's trying to, you know, just do all these horrible things. He still says Dio is my brother. Mm-hmm. He's my brother. And, and he's so conflicted. He doesn't know what he should do in this moment. But I think when he sees that Dio Brando is gone and now all you have left is Dio he can finally accept it and say, and I think he does say this in, in the episode, he's no longer human. Like, this is not the same person. Even if I could forgive Dio Brando, I cannot forgive Dio. Right. And do you even, like, again, he declares, like, I reject my humanity, um, which I guess gives Jonathan that justification um, to just impale him on the on the Joestar's guardian deity. Yeah. And like he, Jonathan shows no fear. I mean, you've got Speedwagon freaking the fuck out the whole time throughout this episode. Um, but Jonathan shows no fear. He he knows he's prepared to die. He even says like, I have nothing left. Although in the moment I was like, well, you still have Speedwagon. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, he's, his home is burning. His his life as he know it knows it is gone. His only family is gone. Um, yeah, he, he just he has nothing, and he's prepared to sacrifice everything for the greater good by trying to, find, you know, uh, completely defeat Dio. And he, and I think Speedwagon sees all of this too. I mean, he he comments on on his spirit and his honor and trying to you know embody his father. Um, it it just it's a really nice win, even though it's not literally a win for Jonathan. I think the whole episode is is a definitely a win for him and his character development. And I think it ties back into what Dio had said in earlier episodes where the harder you hit Jonathan, the tougher he gets. Yeah. And he even says that again this episode after he gets impaled. He's like, oh, shit, I forgot. Like, the harder you hit him, the stronger he gets. Mm -hmm. Just one side thing that I noted from this episode is a quote that Dio said where the more one schemes, the more unpredictable life becomes. And if I haven't heard a better campaign slogan for all anime that was the one <laughs> yeah that, that's pretty accurate especially for anime nowadays like thinking to some of the other stuff that that we've watched it's it's very true yep and the episode wraps up with of course dio not being dead because that would be kind of crazy if 
Theo died in episode three of the show, mm-hmm. especially when they set it up in the beginning by saying like, this is a story of two guys in a stone mask and how they changed, you know, history or whatever they said in the beginning. Um, but yeah, Dio's not dead. He's, he's still there under the rubble. He's regenerating, I guess, cause he sucked that, um, he sucked Wayne Chung Chun's blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be fun to see what happens in the next episode. Yeah. Again, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's, this episode feels like a season finale, but for this to happen only in the third episode, um, it kind of gets you excited for what you'll see next for the rest of the part. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there are definitely fight scenes that top what happened in Joestar Manor, RIP. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to rewatching those. It's going to be great. The drama and the action and the ridiculousness just grows and grows and grows with every episode of JoJo. Yeah, I would say like up to now, it's been pretty normal. And I think from this point on is where it gets bizarre. Yeah, very, very bizarre. And that wraps up episode three of Strictly JoJo. You can follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. Check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you can reach out to us and share your thoughts on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure or share any feedback on our podcast. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. To be continued.